The following podcast is a production of The Network. Check us out on BICBP-radio.com. I am one of your co-hosts, Chris Chavez, joined by Sean Fritz, the other co-host, Sean Fritz. We're both here to talk movies. Yes, another movie podcast. Can you imagine that, Sean? Do you know, are there any movie review podcasts out there at all? There are. I actually listen to a few of them. Oh, God. See, and I thought we were doing something awesome here, something like never before thought of. This is hardly awesome, I would say. <laughs> oh, deep dive. Dude, if we've got listeners that get that, that's awesome. Um, yeah, man, Silence Your Phones, a brand new podcast we're bringing to you uh, at the BICBP-radio.com website, the network, also known as the network, uh, a movie review podcast where every week, Sean and I are going to come uh, to talk about a movie that we watched and uh, basically how we feel about it. We're going to break it down and... Decide whether or not it's worthy to add to our Silence Your Phones DVD collection. Yes, I agree. <laughs> that's what I signed up for. Yes, that's what the contract says. He signed on the dotted line. So, um, dude, I've been wanting to do this for a long time. I'm a huge fan of film. Uh, you know, I've, for the longest time when I was a kid, I always wanted to make movies. I always, I'd watch movies and then be finished watching them, go in my room, grab my notebook and start writing it out as a script, what I had just seen, uh, because I wanted to be able to remake it myself at some point when, you know, obviously I won the lotto and got a video camera. So you were the original novelization writer. Dude, I did that all the time. I literally, I'm not, not a joke. I probably wrote halfway through the Goonies one time in a notebook, the entire movie. Did you, did your version have the sewer adventure where they come across the, the fish or the octopus? No, because that is, see, I didn't know about all that until much later in life when we got beautiful things such as DVDs. And on DVDs, we could fit so much content, including outtakes and never before seen footage. Deleted uh, scenes were, were great to just be like, okay, I see where that, you know, for people that were into movies and, you know, really like to dissect it, like, oh, so they took this out because it doesn't add to here. It actually takes away from the character and the way you feel about them and, or, et cetera. Exactly. And, and, uh, you know, along the same vein, man, when they'd have commentary, it was like listening to a podcast by the filmmakers discuss the film they made. Um, so yeah, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan. Have been wanting to do this for quite a t some time. Uh, we don't have any real movie review podcasts on the network. So I said, let's do this. I reached out to you. You're on the network as well. You do Power Rangers in cyberspace with Christian Ingram. Um, so you have a, you have some, some, you know, some experience here in watching and reviewing things. So I said, let me reach out to Sean, see if you're down for it. You said, yeah, you're totally down for it. I said, all right, dude, silence your phone. We're doing this. Well, and, and, to to correct your revisionist history there, uh, 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 previous, Wait, is that uh, not how it works? 
Well, a, uh, a previous version of Power Rangers in Cyberspace had uh, a, a different co-host, uh, Anthony Mullen. Who's that and dude? He's some guy in prison in Buffalo. Oh, okay. At least you should be. I don't. Maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> they you know him better than I do. They haven't caught him for that stuff yet. We're not. I think yeah. we might have to scrub that from the episode. Whatever that stuff is. Yeah. Uh, but we actually did a watch along commentary of the two Power Rangers movies up until that time. Uh, oh, we did nice. the, 90, the 95 and the 97 movie where we watched it and then we would let listeners sync it up and listen to the watch the movie and us talk most of the time talk. Oh, sweet. Ba- badly about it. Sweet. Well, we'll definitely do that for Silence Your Phones. Maybe maybe when we start a Patreon page, we'll do stuff like that. I'd love to do commentary over film. I love that. Um but this one is more along the lines of we watch it ahead of time, uh, break it down. We come back and discuss certain aspects of the film. We'll break down things such as acting, writing, sound effects, uh, or sound, sound, you know, special effects, uh, things like that. And then again, like I said, we'll decide at the end of the show whether or not this is something we want to add to our collection. Um, but why don't you tell the good folks at home that are listening to this first ever episode, what's the first movie that we are going to be doing on Silence Your Phones, John? So we thought it was fitting to uh, to watch and then discuss a movie that was near and dear to, should be everybody, uh, is the original uh, first Back to the Future movie uh, from 1985, primarily starring Christopher, Lo- uh, excuse me, Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd, uh, and then with other, other uh, supporting characters that are somewhere on this sheet. Here we go. Uh, Leah Thompson, Crazy Crispin Glover, Thomas F. Wilson, who was just a gem. Uh, and then uh, the first Jennifer Parker, Claudia Wells, yeah. who was later replaced by Elizabeth Shue. Yep. Uh, and then um, a bunch of other people that you would probably know, but I don't. So uh, Billy Zane makes a, 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 a visual appearance, just not an audible appearance. Yeah, a little cameo there. Uh, in all three, actually. So, um, yeah, so, so there you go. Back to the Future is our first film. Check this out. Steven Spielberg presents Back to the Future, a Robert Zemeckis film. Marty leads an ordinary life. No McFly ever amounted to anything in the history of Hill Valley. Well, history is going to change. And 1985 is not his year. But Dr. Brown is about to change all that. Are you telling me that you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? He's sending Marty 30 years back in time. Now, he's trapped in the past. This has got to be a dream. About to meet... Chocolate. ...his future father. He's a peeping tough. Wow! And he's making an impression on his mother. He's an absolute dream. And he can sleep in my room. Ah. Anything you do could have serious repercussions on future events. Ah! Now, he's got to make his mother and father fall in love. For crying out loud, I haven't even been born yet. And only Dr. Brown... And help him get back to the future. Are you telling me that this sucker is nuclear? Precisely. Michael J. Fox. Whoa, this is heavy. Christopher Lloyd. There's that word again, heavy. Why are things so heavy in the future? Is there a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull? Back to the future. So there you go, dude. Back to the future. Um, how old were you when you first saw this film? Uh, I can remember it vividly. Uh, it was after the third movie came out. My dad had gone up to the video store, the rental store that was probably about two miles away, 
and had rented all three on VHS. So this was probably 1990, 1990, no, it was 91 because the third one was out on VHS by then. And we watched all three of them over the weekend. Uh, so I was eight when I first saw it. Nice. Yeah, I was, uh, I, man, I don't remember my age, but I do remember it was when this first one came out um, on video, on VHS. I remember my dad renting it. I remember us sitting in the living room. It was a sunny day. I remember that. It was d- daytime watching this. Uh, and I remember by the time it was done, just being just so blown away about what I had just seen, like going through time, traveling through time. Um, and I think it was, I would credit this film as probably being one of the, you know, earliest influences in my love for that era, the 1950s, you know, the sock hops, the music, the greasers, that type of a thing. Uh, this is, this movie's probably one of those, I mean, I know it's a fantasized version of it, but you know what I mean? It's, it's, this movie has to have, have had that kind of influence, uh, in why I feel that kind of weird affinity to this era. Um, dude, this movie, it's like the first, nostal- it's like the first nostalgia trip. Yes, exactly. Right. It, it really does feel that way. I, I, cause I think to myself, we do that now we do things like stranger things where we do, you know, a whole TV show wrapped in this kind of nostalgia feel of, of what it felt to grow up in that time. So back in 85, when they're making, when this came out 85, you said, yeah. Yes. The first one. Yeah. 1985, this comes out. Um, you know, the people making this are doing their nostalgia, right? It feels like the people going to see this are looking back on, I remember that. I remember, you know, you know, the sock hops and the dances, the enchantments under the sea or what is it? What did, what did Doc call it? The, oh, oh um, <laughs> it was the best man. I, we were just saying this off show. Uh, but there's, there's a point in this film when he discusses the dance coming up and he calls it some, something rhythm, you know, extravaganza yeah. or something. Where people move their hips to a rhythm. It, it was the, yeah, it was the most roundabout way to describe a single word, a dance, yeah, uh, a social engagement of, uh, of young folks or, or something along those yeah. lines. Rhythmic social engagement. That yes. I think is what it was. Um, but yeah, there was, there's something about it that yeah, it must encapsulate that. I know in the 80s there had to have been people watching it feeling the same thing that we feel when we watch Stranger Things uh, in shows like that. Yeah, yeah, I think it, it definitely helped. Oh, uh, uh, rhythm, uh, rhythm, rhythmic ceremonial. Ah, crap. Bad. <laughs> uh, there's a rhythmic ceremonial ritual coming up. That's that's it. Rhythmic ceremonial ritual. So basically, it's a school dance. Um, but let's get into the into how we do this show. So what we're going to do is we break down just different parts of this movie. And the first part we're going to get into uh, just seems fitting since we're already talking about how Christopher Lloyd plays this part. We're going to get into acting and actors. So Sean, who who let's let's start here. Let's get let's see what the cast looks like. Uh, right away, Michael J. Fox. A healthy at the time, Michael J. Fox. Yeah, I, I think I read somewhere that he was already starting to, you know, experience the the early onset of of um, oh man, what is it? He's got Parkinson's. Even even early during this time, and and his uh, you know, family ties days. It just was something that was very manageable until it became where he couldn't. But Michael J. Fox at this time is huge in the eighties. He's just like. Uh, stratospheric in in regards to his his star power, so having him on a film is almost like a no brainer. Yes, but originally he wasn't, and if you look closely in some scenes, he's not Marty McFly. What do you mean? So 
what I mean is that initially he was not cast as Marty McFly. He uh, Eric Stoltz. Uh, yes. Know, I'll, take the, I'll take the Pepsi challenge from Pulp Fiction. I did see that. I knew that one. Uh, yeah. He, but he, he, they did a few weeks of filming when uh, in the car in the first, when they go to the, the Twin Pines Mall. Yeah. Uh, more on that later. Uh, when they go to the Twin Pines Mall and they're filming, or rather when the car's being driven by Marty, it's actually Eric Stoltz that's driving it when you can't really see the face in, wow. in the car. I'll have to go and, back. I did not know that. And in the diner scene in 55, where uh, where they meet, where Marty meets George, is it that one or is it where he punches Biff? Because those are two separate scenes, if I remember correctly. It, it yeah, it's two different, two different scenes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's probably, so I think you're talking about the one where he punches Biff because there's um, yeah. it's a lot from behind. There's not much in, you know. But but there's a point where you see his hand, just his hand on Biff's collar, and that is Eric Stoltz's hand. So <laughs> beyond that, there's not a whole lot that's left of, of the Eric Stoltz cut because it was two weeks. They fired him for being just too serious and stoic. Yeah, like yeah. You're a 17-year-old kid who is late for school, skateboards, wears his Walkman everywhere, and hitches on the back of cars. Which – <laughs> Let me tell you something. First of all, it's not, that's not that easy. Okay. Um, movie magic. Yeah, movie magic. Uh, it's funny, man, because you think you think Eric Stoltz could get booked at, on uh, at a con as the hand from <laughs> Back to the Future. You know what I mean, he's like, hand. I was the hand man. I'm the one that grabbed Biff's collar. He um, was the hand man. But the acting in this film, I, I, for, for me, again, now, I did rewatch it again. So I'm not sure if it's just the nostalgia and I'm watching it through that lens. But it's still, it's, for me, was so top-notch. Little parts of it are a little overboard. Like the, um, you know, like the way Doc you know, delivers certain lines. And maybe that's part of the writing as well. Uh, but overall, I thought it was great. Because, like, you got Leah Thompson acting like the mother, you know, this kind of slightly – you know, I think they're basically saying she's almost an alcoholic, right? Uh, at the beginning of the film, and and when she plays herself as the the younger girl in the fifties, it's it's that transformation of there's there's kind of this shyness, and she's trying to put on the front of what's expected of her to be the good girl, but there's still like that devil. You know what I mean? Like she's got the angel and devil on each shoulder, and you know that uh, she's getting down on things that her mom would not approve of. I took it a little differently, quite honestly. I took it the way that she looked at George when he was just completely out of touch and staring at or the TV watching that episode of Gleason that yeah. that eventually when Marty goes back, they see it. Yeah. He sees it for the first when it's on for the first time. I took it as she was just so madly in love with George that she forgave his aloofness and 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 she was also just aloof to everything and anything around her because she effectively married her high school crush. Oh, school. see, I, I took it as it seemed like there was a, a slight resentment there that this kind of like, you know, none of this would happen if he this had, you know, that that had not happened kind of a thing. And she like, almost like that, what my life might have been like if he, he had not come into my life. Now that you say that, it does make sense uh, because she uh, Lorraine doesn't like Jennifer. Mm-hmm. Because she projects the way she was as a as a teen yeah. onto Jennifer, chasing boys and everything. You know, I wouldn't do that. And then, you, of course, that sets up later for exactly. You know, you see Lorraine does the exact opposite because <laughs> maybe she learned from it or or who knows. But right. it's you know, it, it it was 
I thought it was pretty neat. Yeah, and maybe in her mind, knowing that the way she was and and what had happened with her and her husband, uh, she didn't want her son to get trapped by a girl that way. You know what I mean? Or to be to be in that kind of situation. So, I, I don't. It, it it was good, man. I loved it. And then uh, let's how. You can't just talk about the McFlies without ta- talking about George, right? Biff. Oh, George, yeah, and I mean, and Crispin Glover, oof. dude. This he dude, crazy. So I have a feeling we have a, we're going to be hitting a lot of movies that this guy's in in the future, and we're obviously going to be talking about Crispin Glover. Um, but for those who don't know who this guy is, his body of work is very kind of. Um, Lynch, would you say it's Lynchian? Yes, dude. Very Lynchian, dude. He's very much this kind of enigmatic, weird, but kind of a genius also. Um, There's so many different reports of people who've worked with him and how he comes across, uh, how he insists on being a certain way. So he can be some some people look at him as as being too hard to work with. Uh, Some people look at him as being this phenomenal, you know, just presence and just you're so lucky that he's going to, you know, portray a character that you've written. He definitely plays George McFly. With a very, very kind of geeky getting beaten down, uh, even into his adulthood. It's like you can see that it didn't, he didn't change much. There was nothing that changed, um, in, in any, there was no growth. You know, a lot of times you'll see kind of that, the idea of the nerdy kid in school, but outside of school, after high school, now he's the guy that's successful or he, you know what I mean? Um, not here, not here at all. He stayed basically the bullied kind of nerd that he was in high school. He's like if a nerd would peak in high school, like the way a lot of people associate jocks with peaking in high school. Yeah. Yes, exactly. He, never, he never left the 50s. Yes. Until the end of the movie, but yeah. that's another. But he is, dude. He's got the, – the way he plays this character is just – I mean, he, he goes all out, right? Because it's, it's a little overboard in parts uh, of how just – I don't know how beaten down he is and how just goofy he is. Yeah, but it it definitely adds to, you know, why Biff bullies him, why Biff mm-hmm. continues to bully him. You know, when you go to the past, back to 55, and you see, you know, he's like, Biff, I need, give me your homework. Yeah. <laughs> so to give me my homework so I can copy it in my handwriting, not the day before it's due, but the day before the day before it's due. I sleep in on Saturdays. Yeah. They repeat that at the very beginning of the movie with the report, you know, yeah. with, with his reports because he's his boss. Yeah. It, that's so much, so much of that kind of mirrors, and I think that's the beauty of of, and this will go a little later in the writing, but it's the beauty of what they're trying to say, and the kind of that cyclical thing with time, um, and that like history kind of repeating itself. So that that's definitely in there. Uh, Biff, who, what's the name of the guy that plays Biff? I forget his name. Biff Thomas Tannen. F. Wilson, dude, <laughs> and he's in everything you want him to be in. He's, he's so SpongeBob. awesome. Yes, he's, dude, dude, he's freaking awesome, man. He really is. He's a stand-up comedian. He does. He's not a stand-up comedian, but he does comedic things. Like uh, he has this call, song called uh, "Back to the Future," um, for, "Back to the Future" song or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and it's basically what he relays to people every time they see him and ask him. You know, it starts when I'm flying in a plane, or I'm or I'm going to church, or or I'm on the street. People stop and ask me, uh, and they say what they say to me when they like to, you know, when we meet. You know, who's Crispin Glover? What's he like? How's Marty McFly? You know, and just is Biff really a butthead? You know, just, you know, it's it's hilarious. And you can find it on YouTube. And I would suggest anybody who's listening to this to go to find it because it's well worth your three minutes of of listening. It's just it's silly. 
I wonder how many people, um, when they leave them, say "Make like a tree and leave and get out of here." I think that's part of the song. Oh, that's amazing! But this guy, he again, he he plays this character of Biff to a T. It's so perfect. He is that kind of bully jock from the fifties with the rolled up sleeves, you know, the crew cut, got the nice car, and the the gang of weird, you know, hyena, you know, entourage with him. These cackling idiots. He's the inspiration for Andrew Dice Clay and simultaneously Scar from The Lion King. <laughs> Wait, is The Lion King thing for real? No, I'm just I was going to say because that I, feels I was, right. But, I mean, he's got his pack of hyenas Yeah, yeah. with him. It feels and right. All, and they literally are cackling, dude, in that first scene when we first see them in the 50s after they, you know, they, they just bully George for a minute and, and they walk out jumping in the car. They're all cackling like hyenas. That's what made me think of that immediately, like just a bunch of like moron followers. So um, I would say, well, who else do we have to talk about uh, that's left other than the man himself, Christopher Lloyd, Doc Brown, the inspiration for Rick Sanchez? Rick, yeah, he is. You know, it was Rick and Marty or it was Doc and Marty. Yep. And then it, for copyright reasons, became Rick and Morty. Exactly. Exactly. But, dude, Doc Brown, I think as a kid, I didn't realize I really thought. Christopher Lloyd was that old like I thought that was his hair I thought he was that old man so when I saw him without the wig and then I think I think it was like on a rerun of taxi or something I was like wait a second that's the same guy um and then seeing him you know what he looked like in the 80s was definitely not this old you know crazy scientist guy uh he's he's awesome man I think I think I don't know. It's almost like he embodies that mad scientist, but in a lovable way. Let me ask you this real quick. Do you think that he took Doc Brown's eccentric nature and turned it up and maybe took a slight step to the side for Judge Doom in Roger Rabbit? Oh my god! Right? It's exactly almost mm-hmm. the same thing. It's Different like, hair. yeah, it's like Doc Brown just kind of absolutely lost it. He 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 did way too many time travel experiments and then lost it. You know what I mean? Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, he's definitely just like Judge Doom. Um, man, uh, here's another question for you: Did you watch this movie with in standard def, or did you watch it with an HD up conversion? Um, it was high def. Why? Did you notice when they were? Older, mm-hmm. obviously, like with Leah Thompson, with um, not so much Crispin Glover, but with with um, Doc Christopher Lloyd as well, and and even the principal, the print, yes, they, yes, they yes, had this weird yes. scaling on their neck. Yes, it's the it's that thinning that thin makeup stuff that they put on the on the that that film of whatever that that helps wrinkle their face their 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 skin. I saw it, and the the, the first time, well, the first time I saw it was at the dinner table uh, with Leah Thompson. Slight, it wasn't too bad, but man, it was horrible in that that hallway scene when when uh, Marty's late to school at the beginning and the principal catches him and they're almost nose to nose the camera you know pushes in real close and his neck I was like what the hell's on his neck and I realized what they were doing they were trying to make him look older too because in the 50s he looks you know his normal uh his he normal age yeah yeah principal strickland yeah um yeah, it was weird, dude. But but it, and you did you could see it on the old doc, and uh, when it comes off of him in the fifties, uh, it's still not so bad. But he still has that kind of wild looking hair, and I think that's one of those things about Doc. Um, he's he's almost a caricature. He plays this character 
to where it's a realistic character, but it's still kind of overboard. Like it's 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 a caricature. Yeah, I mean, he he definitely dials it up to one point twenty one. <laughs> Great Scott! Exactly. So, uh, but if you ask me, overall, I think the acting and the actors in this film were literally top notch. I don't think we would have had su- such a classic without these this combination of actors and actresses. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. It's a perfect storm of, you know, of of casting crew and characters and such that makes it just resonate 35 years later. Exactly. It's like, it's like that one lightning strike, right? Hitting the clock tower. Let's get into the story then if we're talking about lightning strikes. Um, again, for me, an enjoyable film. The story was one of these fil- stories that as I watched it again as an adult, I did catch little things. We talked about it a little bit off off air. There were certain things that kind of bothered me. Um, you know, the the writing in regards to I think they could have dialed it back a little bit with Doc. You know, I don't think I think he could have said it looks like they're going to have a dance. You know, he knows what a dance is. Uh, things like that were cool. But then things like the great Scott, you know, and the way he just kind of jump and all those kind of the way he spoke seems so natural. It didn't seem forced or unnatural. And that goes for all the characters. It, it sounded uh, the writing in this film was done to the point where it felt like the 50s when they were in the 50s, the way they spoke. Well, and, and when Marty mixes. 1985 vernacular yes. with 1955 vernacular like oh man this is heavy yeah why do you or, keep asking or, that is everything yeah. what's the worth gravitational <laughs> force more str- <laughs> in the future <laughs> and then when he tries to be like when he slips up and he's like come on dad 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 daddy oh yeah you know it's, <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> it's, like, it's so good dude yeah i i did enjoy this now let me ask you because i watched this and again this is one of those films that it's such a uh it's so close to my heart you know when I get on, it's like going on and enjoying the ride. I'm not really looking for where are the nuts and bolts a little loose in the car. So plot holes, and I'm sure there's people who have always talked about plot holes in Back to the Future. But for me, I always felt like I think they got time travel right with this. I mean, do we really even and, know? Yeah. Well, from what we think we know of time travel, right? Yeah. I mean, there's the... You know, you could do a quick Google search and find plot holes in in Back to the Future. You you know, like um, Marty's parents, did they remember him? You know, from the first you know, right. the first movie, right? Did exactly. they remember him? Or is it um, is it one of those things where because do we remember every single person we've come across in high school? Do you know what I mean? But it's yeah. it's very influential. He was kind of in their lives at a, at a very pivotal moment, a very influential moment. He instead of his parents getting them together. You know, or, yeah. or Lorraine's dad getting them together because he hit him with the car. Like, oh, he hit Calvin Klein with the car and he looks exactly like Marty. Right. So then what happens then, right? What happens when Marty starts to get old enough uh, where he starts to take on those features? Does George McFly look at his wife and go, so are you sure you didn't contact Calvin Klein again? <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, yeah, that's like, I mean, that, like, that's one of the biggest ones. Yeah. I guess you could say that, yeah. That what do they forget all of a sudden? But I mean, hmm. I would, I would probably, yeah, because it is. It's a big deal when people say, "How'd you guys get together?" They're always going to reference the kid that helped them get together. Well, and and they even do it at the very beginning of the movie. Yeah. You know, and and you know, at the end of the movie, when when George knocks out, you know, George basically corrects time, as it were, 
right and and knocks biff out and you know and then stands up for himself at the dance uh with with that guy that cut in and kisses lorraine marty all of a sudden springs back to life yeah but you know so it's like well you know maybe yes maybe no but you know the best the best thing that they threw in there i think personally is is the whole uh johnny be good marvin oh, berry so good you know, and calling Chuck, it's your cousin. Yeah. Marvin. Listen to this. It's the future. Marvin Barry. Yeah. yeah, that is very good, dude. I loved it. I thought that was good too. Um I don't know, man. I love this film. I do. I love I love the story behind it. It's a really cool, simple story. You know, the the kid out of time or the kid that gets kind of pulled out of his environment to go on that adventure. Um, and he's gotta try to get himself back home. And, and the twist being that, you know, where he is can actually be, you know, lead to his ultimate demise if he's not careful. So that was kind of that's a kind of cool thing. And I always love when when, you know, we have stories that mess with time travel. Um, I just I like when it doesn't get too complicated. So this is a very direct, you know, they go into the past, they do a bunch of stuff, they come back and you see how it kind of affected, you know, the current times and how things were changed. Um but to me, I just feel like the, I felt the writing was 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 done very well. Who who did, wrote this? Zemeckis, right? Was it Robert Zemeckis or Steven Spielberg? Um, it, I think Spielberg's Spielberg is a producer. Producer, yeah. Uh, Zemeckis. Writer oh no, it's um Bob Gale. Bob Gale was one of the. Uh, he's writer and producer, and and Zemeckis, yeah. Let's see here. It's been rated the fiftieth best screenplay of all time as of. 2006 by the Writers Guild of America. Yeah, there you go. 56th best screenplay of all time. Directed by Robert Zemeckis, uh, produced by Bob Gale, Neil Canton, and written by Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale. Okay, yeah. And that makes sense. They were a powerhouse team in the mid to late 80s. Yep. Um, And so so to me, this this is a – I love it. I think that – you have anything else you want to say on the story, the plot, or the writing? I mean, it's – the story is great. The plot – is I think probably as far as not knowing what time travel is really like and what the effects are. Right. You know, s- some say that there are certain moments in time that are non-negotiable. They can't change no matter what. Right. It's like a. It's it's got a. You know, when you get an Excel spreadsheet from work and they let you to do they let you do certain things. You have certain permissions. Then you get the ones that are locked. You can't do anything. Yeah. There's certain moments in time that are Excel spreadsheet locked. So it's, it, it, I think maybe that's one of those things, you know, where, where, again, not being a practitioner of time travel, that's the best way I can think about, think of it is it's, I think the plot is very sound, it makes sense, yeah. you know, without overanalyzing every last little thing. Right. And, and I think it's simple enough, you know, they didn't go to the, I mean, the second movie, they, if they tried to cram the second movie into this as well, yeah. it would have been a disaster. Yeah. They took their but, time with this, and it was like you said, it's direct, it's simple. You you go, you know exactly what your story is, uh, and there's sometimes when you do time travel movies, it can get so convoluted that the you know you lose track of what the story is. And but but it's even with the second one, you know, yeah. and, and to to discuss a movie outside of what we're discussing very briefly, Marty is there. Two Martys are there, yeah, from a different angle, but. They're wearing different clothes, so you know which Marty is which. And they do it very well. They dance. It's it's a nice dance between the first and second movies uh, in that second movie. Yep. So, yep. all right, let's move on to sound. Uh, soundtrack. This movie, I think, immediately has got one of these the, the 
So the main theme is a recognizable theme, right? The second you hear it, you know the song. Uh, you know what movie it is. And then uh, the other sound is that tinkling sound. That, that You know which one I'm talking about? I call it the magic like sprinkle tinkle. Which sounds a little weird. <laughs> sounds like I'm learning. Sounds like I'm, lear- I'm learning to go potty for the first time. Um, <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about? It's that little tinkling sound that you know we're about to see something cool. That that this is a, a Back to the Future film. Would you call it pins and needles? Maybe is that what it's called? I- I'm just asking, <laughs> dude. If that's the official name, I'm, I'm I want it changed to Sprinkle Tinkle. But I mean, so here I don't know the exact the that exact the name of that exact. Uh, audio bit but yeah I mean, you just think about like okay and and you know to go back real quick one uh so the power of love there's a lot of yes. huge and back in time by huey lewis in the news huey lewis makes a cameo in the movie and he was huge in the 80s dude so when he's oh, on there goodness. it was monster well and he's such a wonderful amazing talent music musical talent as well people write him off as like oh he's just Huey Lewis, that 80s band, the guy that wrote I Want a New Drug, which became Ghostbusters now. I mean, that's yeah. a whole other story behind that. But, you know, there's there's so many, you know, his cameo in the movie is hilarious. You know which one yeah. I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's the he's one of the judges for the Battle of the Bands. You're yeah, a little too loud for us. <laughs> and they're playing an elect- uh, like a metal version of The Power of Love. Yeah, which is like, I think that's the theme of this film, right? The entire theme's yeah. film is The Power of Love. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I Back mean, in Time. I think they do Back in Time in this as well. Yeah, but then they, there's like there's a couple '80s mo- uh, songs, but then there's also for the time they throw in eight, '50s songs as well, like uh, yeah. Night Train. You know, just that 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 jazzy trumpet guitar, um, upright bass that they were playing. Mm-hmm. Mr. Um, Sandman, the, the the old fifth, the doo-wop Mr. Sandman yep. song. Earth Angel. Yes. You know, then that's that's just the feel of the fifth. As soon as you start hearing that, that's fifties now. All of a sudden now you're in the fifties. Yep. And then of course Johnny Be Good. Yes. Yes. I mean Which is like, hasn't been released yet, obviously, because uh, you know, Chuck hears it for the first time himself that night. Um, but this is so this is one of those films that kind of shows you how important uh soundtracks, not just score, but soundtracks can be in influencing scenes or the actual feel of a film because this one I would say is is encaps aside from films like Forrest Gump is one of those ones that I say soundtrack encapsulates the era this Guardians Guardians exactly these these kinds of things are super important to a film um and for for me back to the future has has a, a soundtrack that is perfect it's it's exactly what you need for the 80s and the 50s uh-huh. it captures both time frames you know with with precision, there you go. Exactly, and it's and it's nothing feels out of place. It doesn't feel like, ugh, they have this song. Do you know what I mean? It just yeah. seems I don't know. There's there's so many good songs in it. There's so much. Even the the score is nice. It's very grand and sweeping. The kind of orchestral sounds that come with this movie. Uh, what's I think his name is Alex Silvestri. So, uh, Alan Silvestri. Alan Silvestri also, also did the Rocky movies. Yes, exactly. So um, for me. I'm I'm totally down. At the end of the day, for me, this is going to be one of those films that I'm always going to say every part of it was great. So the sound and soundtrack for me was awesome. Yeah, it just it creates that perfect feeling for what they're going for. Exactly. Uh, let's move on to special effects. So this is the first time we see time travel how are they going to depict it right so are they going to try to show us 
you know, phasing in and out like Star Trek showed people moving from spot to spot? Or how are we going to do this? And um, it's a car. It's a car. Yeah. <laughs> first, it's a car. Right. And then what are you going to do with the car? But then we start see the first time we see it go down, you know, when Einstein's in the car, uh, the, the flashes of lightning. And, and then the, the, the coolest thing for me was that um, the tire tracks that left just the fire. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, my God. How freaking oh, well, the first time you saw that as a kid. The, don't forget the license plate. Yes, just spinning, spinning around. But the first time we saw that as a kid, I remember just being like, holy crap. Like I couldn't I couldn't figure out how they did it. Right. It looked magical. It looked like that thing literally exploded, uh, disappeared, but kept kind of going in a ghost form and left these tire tracks Mm -hmm. like it was it was projecting it and they were seeing. I don't know. It's like seeing a star. Yeah. You see it eight minutes in the past because that light, the travel of the light. I yeah. don't know. I think that yeah. explain it. Yeah, I think this movie, aside from like the time travel, it was very minimal in special effects. You know, a lot of the a lot of what we saw visually was just kind of aesthetic, showing us back in the fifties. It was more about um, you know, what they wore and how they styled their hair, uh, and the sound that was that that accompanied what we were looking at. The special effects were seen were very minimal. Um, which is kind of a stark contrast to the next one that comes after it. But this one was most mostly what we saw with special effects was with time travel itself, the actual car coming and going. Um, and Marty fading, but that was... Yes. Yeah, the fading of the... That was kind of cool too, right? Like the, even the photographs where we could start seeing uh-huh. that fade in the photographs, that was kind of a cool uh, a cool thing. The... Um, uh, what was it? The I just had it and I, f- I completely forgot. There was something related to the effects... It'll come to me later, tomorrow, yeah. probably. You'll call me up and say, all right, we have to record and then just insert this later. Yeah, I'll just send you the audio. <laughs> and it'll sound supernatural. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, again, because there's not that much, there's not really much to talk about in regards to the uh, the special effects in this film. Overall, um, you know, it, it, was, it was a good looking film. I liked it, you know, for me. Like I said, I think those those tire tracks of fire is what always always sticks out in my mind, special effects wise. Um, dude, notable scenes, quotes. Like, what were some of the, your favorite parts of this movie, or, or what stand out? Uh, obviously, as 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 notable to you in this film. Well, I mean, there's 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 everything from Biff. I mean, you know, the first yeah. of all, his name is Biff Tannen, <laughs> and. The, the joke that uh, whenever a, uh, whenever I'm somewhere and someone opens a, a bottle of red wine, I always make the joke of, do you have an aerator? And I don't, I, now, now, I don't drink wine, but I know enough about it that with white wine, you put it in the fridge and you don't have to let it aerate for, for an hour. But with red wine, you do unless you have an aerator. It oxygenates the tannins. Yeah. So, of course, the joke is, do you have an aerator? No. Well, then your Biff tannins are going to taste like dog shit. Nice. Be- and... Ironically, he does in in 1885 in the third one run into a hay cart of dog crap. Right. Oh, the because this uh, in, in the first in this one it's the uh, it's it's the horse manure. Yeah, is it a cow manure? It's manure every time, but it doesn't get into his mouth this time. Oh God, no, no, it just gets into his car, uh, yeah. and he's got to get it all. Three hundred bucks of damage too. <laughs> three hundred bucks. Like nowadays, that's nothing. You're like, oh really? That's it? Holy cow. Um. Dude, but there was there's a uh, lot of notable scenes in this. I think for me, oh, yeah. um, the opening scene 
where he's he goes in and and turns you know everything up to ten and everything's just at yeah. max capacity power and he goes and stands in front of this just ginormous subwoofer uh, with that tiny little electric guitar <laughs> <laughs> blows him halfway across the room which the paint can, cans fall which can I ask you something it has to be I mean what kind of experiment is Doc running that he needs that size of a of a subwoofer in his in his in his you know basement. Or to set all of his clocks exactly 25 minutes behind. Yeah, what is that one, too? That one was I, so weird. He's like, it worked. My experiment worked. I'm like, what was the experiment? <laughs> yeah, that's that's curious, too. Nothing that I want to dive into, but like, I need some more details. I need some background on, on this strange experiment. Yeah, that's great. Um, I think a couple more like notable scenes for me are the first time he goes into the past and uh, – the, the farmer Peabody thinks he's a, he's a spaceship. Remember when he comes out and the kid's showing well, him the creepy magazines? It, and it looks just like it. I mean, yeah. that coupled with the, the Van Halen, the Darth Vader. That Planet part's Vulcan. so awesome, too. I love that part. But the biggest and most subtle one, or not, it's not the biggest, it's the most subtle one, and I love it, is in the very beginning of the movie, Marty is at Twin Pines Mall. When he goes back into the past to Old Man Peabody's farm, which Doc talks about. Yeah. And then he knocks over one of the two trees at the mailbox. When he goes toward the end of the movie, he goes back and then he goes to the mall yep. to see Doc get shot. And it's Lone Pine Mall. Yep. It's not twin anymore because mm-hmm. he ends up running over one of the one of the saplings, one of the baby trees. Um, that's really cool. You know what other thing I noticed? Uh, because he makes a mention of it when he goes to the school in the 50s about how clean and new it looks. It's like w- where the hell are they live? Do you see how much graffiti – was uh-huh. spray painted not only at the school but on the like the walls of his his you know neighborhood the Lions Estate neighborhood it was graffiti yeah. everywhere and I always thought like it was worse in, in Back to the Future too but watching this again now I was like well what's going on like what kind of gang activity is happening here at you know uh, this what was the name of their town uh, Hill Valley Hill Valley what kind of gangs are Hill Valley dealing with with all this tagging going on well and and. And this is what I was thinking of a few minutes ago that I couldn't remember. The layout of the town was like a city block. Like the town center looked exactly the same. All they did was just change. They did like a resto mod on it to make it look old from 85 to 55. The same businesses, you know, the same everything. They just updated it from or or downgraded it based on what gear, what time frame they were trying to to emulate. Like, uh, Like the Texaco had electric pumps in 85 and the black with the red but then in 55 it was clean it was white with the red and the and the green tea and they had somebody pull up with white walls and their cream white you know tank of a car yeah and the four guys come out and one guy cleans the windshield the other guys check the tire pressure and fill up the gas tank and you know it, it was it was very attention to detail with using the same set as well it really was you know, for both of them, speaking to that, but also to, like you said, the the uh, the school, the the outside of the school, the inside mm-hmm. of the school was the exact same. Mm-hmm. They might have just changed the color of the wall, but yeah. yeah, it was very very specific and very detailed. Yeah, I loved it. Uh, and then going back and having watched it again, it was cool to see how they all the little because pe- when you watch a movie like this for the first time or you watch it as a kid, you kind of go along for the ride. But when I was watching this, I watched all the details kind of fall into place and kind of just give you these kind of. Uh, 
foreshadowing like when when they're sitting there at the clock tower and she comes up and shakes it saying you know we need money she <laughs> gives him the flyer and so you um, i remember i'm like that flyer comes into play later like why would he keep it oh duh because jennifer comes over and writes her grandmother's number because she's staying at her grandma it was it's all these little things that it was so good dude i love it it was to me this was so such a good movie it's great writing it's it's you know they don't they don't introduce that Deus Ex Machina where someone shows up in the third act to save the day and they were never mentioned or even you know a part of the story up until that point it's right. like it's it's that cop out but you know the you know and and all of these themes and 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 you know with the jokes and and the quotes and such slightly change in each movie in the mm-hmm. trilogy you know from from Biff to old alternate Biff to yeah. old you know to Mad Dog biff and, yeah. and you know they're they're all they all carry the same it's familiar level of intel yeah yes and they carry the same level of intelligence you don't have mad dog tannen being this rocket right you know genius or this rocket or this uh you know surgeon and then biff being a dummy mm-hmm. so it's yeah it's very familiar it's very uh very similar as well. Yeah, and which, is- which goes to what we were saying earlier is I feel like it's that's part of that commentary of this kind of cyclical, um, you know, thing that has to do with time. How time kind of repeats itself uh, unless you start to learn from certain things and change. You know, that's that's the saying, right? Uh, history continues to repeat itself. So we see that we see where you know. Um, he comes into the diner and at, in the fifties, like we said earlier, and the exact same interaction that plays out between Biff and George is what started at the beginning of the film in 1985. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's dude. I loved it. At the end of the day, I'm ready to score this one. And if you ask me, it's how are we doing this? Are we doing stars or what kind of rating are we giving this? You know, I was just thinking that too. Um, I don't know. Um, Maybe we leave the we give it a number and we leave it out uh, and we leave it up to our subscribers to figure out what they want and to call suggest. It. What you know is it five DVD cases? Is it uh, five cell phones? Is it five? Um, you know, is it? I don't know. They'll they'll come up with something more clever than us. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, but for now, dude, if it's out of five, this film for me is a five in, in my view. I think it's it's one of the very few films that's from beginning to end just a great piece of of art. Um, you know, super satisfying. You end up it's it's a great ride. It's it's uh, like I said, characters are great. It's it's an enjoyable piece of entertainment from beginning to end, packaged one hundred percent in everything that you look for in a good film. Sound acting writing you know the visuals the way the thing looks overall and just like i said when i say satisfying that's what i look for at the end of the film i want to walk away going i really enjoyed that you know what i mean um whether it leaves me disturbed leaves me thinking leaves me uh crying or happy i just want to know that i enjoyed it and this is this is one of them so i'm giving this one a five did you just admit to crying over movies i could i could we'll get into those when we get to them i'm sure we'll cover pulp fiction at some point Scream two, <laughs> scream, scream four. Why are you still making these? <laughs> oh, apparently they're making another one, but that's coming soon. What's your rating, dude? I would have to agree with you. You know, I sat down. You know, the first time I watched this was with my dad when I was eight, and the last time I watched this was about two weeks ago. Um, e and I watched it, and uh, E is my girlfriend, and um, it's not her real name. But I was going to say that's a how does she spell it E E E Yes it's four E's actually Oh oh sorry sorry E you know 
It's uh, no. Ian and I sat down and watched it, and and she had never seen it before. So I'm like, oh, we're gonna knock out two birds with one stone. Not only gonna do research, but I'm gonna we're gonna watch this movie and uh, periodically I'll provide a little bit of commentary, which she does find interesting and engaging. Nice. Yeah. Did she so, like it? She loved it. She's like, that was a really solid movie. There it you was go. Very, the story was cohesive. It was solid. It had an open and close if there was never going to be a third one, which in the theatrical release for the first one, they did not have it to be continued right. because you know the sequel didn't come out until the fourth one mm-hmm. or till four years later rather. And uh, But in the VHS, they're like, you know what? This is, we're going to make money because you know, yeah. the budget being 19 million and the take being 211 million. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they they probably had something there, but you know it's a good movie. People love it. I love it every time I watch it. Like when I watched it last, it, it was just like, oh, this is a great movie. I love this scene coming up. This is so funny. Like, oh, he's so dumb because he says, "Make like a tree and get out of here." And, you know, there's just every little tiny thing that just makes me laugh and smile and giddy. And you know, it, it, it's the writing is great. And you know, on top of that, the cover has been. Oh. Ahmed, you know, the cover's great. It's the same cover from every movie except with just a different iteration of the time machine. Yeah. And it's been lampooned. It's been um, it's been uh, homaged. It's been mashed up with other things to create other art. Like I saw one for a fan art for, you'll like this, for Days of Future Past, the X-Men whatever yeah. a couple years ago movie where it had um, it had the DeLorean on it and it had Wolverine getting out. Oh and man! De- and it had Deadpool behind him, like <laughs> like Doc, like Doc is holding him in the Back to the Future Two uh, awesome. poster. That is awesome. And now Deadpool wasn't in that movie, but it just made it that much more meta and right. silly. But you know, in just telling the the character stories, open and shut, like I said, it's just solid. The the, the plot is great. It, it's it's the characters are believable, and you can relate to them. Mm-hmm. I think is really really the big thing. Like the kids can't relate to their parents at the beginning of the movie. Marty meets his mom as a as his age, and is like, "Okay, this is awkward and weird." Yeah, and you know he just plays uncomfortable. Great, where she's not wearing his pants. And she took his pants off of, <laughs> you know, and and the dad of the fifties, and then Jason Hervey, uh, who was her her brother, not Uncle Joey, who doesn't like prison, but is in or. <laughs> You know who loves prison, and is in his crib. You know, they just ex- they set up and they explain things so very well. Yes, you know it, it's and it's not overdone. It's winking to the camera once in a great while mm-hmm. like with, Mar- with Chuck and Marvin Barry. But you know that's you know my rambling is basically yes, I would agree with you. Five out of five. Yeah. So I feel like you're gonna definitely find Back to the Future on the silence your silence your phones DVD shelf. Yes. Um, awesome. Awesome. So thanks for listening to our very first episode of silence your phones, ladies and gentlemen. Um, next week, make sure you do come back because we will be covering the 1999 American comedy film written and directed by Mike judge office space. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No, no, man. Shit, no, man. I believe you get your ass kicked saying something like that, man. So make sure you watch it first and have your TPS reports ready for the next time you come back and listen. Well, thanks so much, ladies and gentlemen. You can go ahead and turn your phones back on, but me and Sean are out of here. <laughs>